0: 20% off. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and today I'm coming to you from Alabama. It is spring break for my kids, so we took some vacation time, uh, made the drive down, we're hanging out with family for the next little bit, and uh, yeah, it looks like I'm going to get to do a little bit of turkey hunting while I'm down here. We'll see, that is uh, yet to be confirmed, but I've got all my gear in the back of the car just in case, but uh, we've got a great episode in store for you today. I recorded this before I left so that I'd be able to uh, keep the content coming your way even though I am out of town. A few weeks ago, I was joined by Matt Strime of Weathered Oaks Custom Calls for a good old-fashioned campfire chat, kind of. And Matt's company, Weathered Oaks, is a Wisconsin-based call company specializing in high-quality handmade pot calls. Now, Matt actually let me get my hands on a prototype call for this year, and I've got to tell you, this thing is sweet. It very quickly became uh, my favorite pot call that I own. And I own a, I own a couple of them from a few of the bigger names out there, and uh, man, this one this one is my favorite by far. And I can't really say a lot about it except I will say this: I really have been amazed by the versatility uh, and also by the ease of use. My seven year old daughter can run this call, so that tells you a little bit about how easy it is to use i cannot wait to get out in the woods with it this year so if you're in the market for a new turkey call this spring give weathered oaks a try you won't be disappointed you uh you can find them on instagram at weathered oaks game calls you can also find them on facebook or uh, they also sell some of their calls on freetoprowl.com now before we roll the conversation with matt a few things to bring to your attention First, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Overwatch Outdoors, makers of the Transformer and Orion tree saddles. Overwatch saddles are made from all berry compliant materials. The quality and craftsmanship is absolutely second to none. And the Orion saddle is by far the most comfortable saddle I've ever sat in. If you're thinking about getting into the saddle game this year, uh, the time to get on that is actually right now. You want to beat the summer. Uh, sales line that's going on and you also want to be able to have time to get comfortable with your equipment and get really efficient with it mobile gear doesn't do you a lot of good if you don't know what you're doing with that mobile gear so you want to get it now you want to get good with it right now you can head over to overwatchoutdoors.net or you can check them out on instagram at overwatch outdoor reach out jamie will get you set up and in the saddle that's right for you next thing we really really appreciate each and every one of you tuning in every single week our download numbers are just getting stronger and stronger your support means the world to us thank you thank you thank you i cannot thank you enough and uh, we want to be able to lean into this uh, a bit more uh that means more content it means Uh, better content it means our time spent producing the kind of stuff that you want to to see and to hear and one way you can set us up to do that is by supporting us on patreon every little bit helps and each tier unlocks great patron benefits head over to patreon.com and look for the wisconsin sportsman today and as always thank you so much for listening to this episode now let's jump into the conversation with matt Strime. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Matthew Strine with Weathered Oaks Game Calls. Matt, what's going on, man?
1: Hey, how's it going, man?
0: Going pretty well. Going pretty well. It's, uh, it's a Friday night. It's kind of late. The kids are in bed. Uh, I've got a drink sitting here in front of me and uh, getting ready for a little bit of a campfire round table kind of thing here.
1: Sounds like a plan. I got a cocktail myself.
0: Yeah, well, I you know I wish we could have done this in person. I've had a, a pretty busy schedule when it comes to uh, recording here lately, um, and so I just wasn't going to be able to wasn't going to be able to make it work in a timely enough fashion. And I wanted to make sure to have you on with plenty of time before turkey season. Uh, it seems like folks here in Wisconsin and across the country are getting pretty fired up uh, about turkey season. And uh, as I've been talking with other people in the hunting industry um it's been really interesting they started to say you know the end of april basically interest starts to shut down you know a lot of a lot of folks have moved on by then you know they're they're catching smallmouth or something like that by then so uh anyway wanted to have you on sooner rather than later so uh let's just kick it off though with a little bit of general sort of hunter profile stuff why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are what you do how you got into turkey hunting that kind of stuff
1: well um Pretty, pretty generic, you know, we're from Wisconsin, every, uh, almost every family that I knew grew up hunting, um, so I got into deer hunting at a young age, didn't get into turkey hunting until a little later in life, and um, yeah, once you start you hear the first gobble, um, man, we just, we got hooked, and ever since then, we started cranking it out. I can't even give you a year uh, when we did, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, hunting in Wisconsin seems to be a, a pretty long-lived tradition here.
0: Yeah. What part of the state are you from?
1: Uh, southeast Wisconsin. Uh, born and raised here. Uh, grew up south side of Milwaukee and then live up in Port Washington now. So.
0: Okay. Is that where you do your hunting?
1: I do hunting, yeah, southeast Wisconsin. And uh, we got, you know, some land we hunt up north too, uh, national forests and stuff like that. So.
0: Okay, good deal. What about for turkeys? You hunt that far north for turkeys or?
1: I usually don't. Okay. Uh, Southeast Wisconsin is where we—it's uh, our bread and butter. You know, you got egg fields, a lot of public land, small chunk public land. That's where we do a lot of our hunting down here. So,
0: gotcha, gotcha. What what types of properties are you on? Are you um, are you focusing mostly on public, private? You got a mix of the two. How's that working?
1: So for turkey season, I, I utilize a lot of public land. Um, we I have private chunks, uh, some farms that I hunt, and uh, we we have a lot of MMSD land around here. I'm not trying to give away all my secret spots but people can figure <laughs> it out pretty easy sure um but yeah we do a lot of mmsd land um smaller tracks you know anywhere 10 to 40 acres but turkey hunting it's you know kind of a run and gun game it's same with properties too as jumping properties
0: so how did you how did you go from turkey hunting as your pastime to starting a company that makes turkey calls
1: <laughs> um, I'd like to say it's how most people start companies. I didn't want to buy one, so I thought I could make it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So you, yep. you Yeah, st- we
1: made a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, you're good. I was just going to say, all right, so tell me about the birth of this first call, and, and I got to know, how did it sound?
1: Um, the first call looked decent. It didn't sound great, okay. um, but... How it came about was one winter, me and my business partner, um, I wanted to buy a new turkey call, and I saw some prices that were up there, and I was like, man, I'm pretty sure I could make one of those. And uh, we went about it the complete wrong way, um, used a router and, you know, overcomplicated the heck out of it and ended up with one pot call with no soundboard. And it, needless to say, it kind of looked neat, but it sounded terrible.
0: Oh, man, what what was the surface on that first one? i'm sorry what was it? what'd you use for the surface uh slate it okay. was
1: strictly slate no soundboard. had giant holes in the bottom because i thought it looked cool and yeah struck it and it sounded like garbage so,
0: so. did you use it though nope no. i did not okay we, and... we
1: had um <laughs> we had already realized that it wasn't going to sound the best so we had made another batch a different way <laughs> okay <laughs> left that one as like the original number one and uh kind of went from there. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. How'd you learn to make the first ones? Did You just take some and like, look at them and say, ah, this is what I'll do. Or was there a lot of research involved?
1: There's a little research. Um, a lot of it was we had some chunks of wood and kind of decided to just go with it. Um,
0: (laughs) I I gotta say (laughs) that that's like the most Wisconsin thing I've heard all day. Like how'd you make that Turkey call? Well, I had some chunks of wood and I decided to just go with it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of sounds like some backwoods stuff there, but uh,
0: <laughs> man, good stuff, good stuff. And you you guys are are sticking with slate calls for now, is that right?
1: Yeah, we do slate. We do glass. Uh, we're branching out into some aluminum pot call stuff, but mostly pot calls. Um, we're starting to we're going to do some prototypes this year, some deer calls and etc. Um, but our bread and butter are the pot calls. So.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So tell me a little bit about the evolution. How'd you go from, from that very first call to kind of where you guys are today? How long was that? First of all?
1: Um, well, it took a couple of weeks and then um, once we found out it wasn't going to sound good, we did a little more research and kind of figured out what other people were doing and gapping and spacing and chamber sizes and stuff like that. And uh, we were able to crank out some ones that sounded a heck of a lot better. Okay um but yeah it took it probably took a couple months we started in the winter and we had our first probably 25 made for um before turkey season so
0: okay nice nice and you guys are cranking out quite a few now
1: yep yeah we try to i mean we still have day jobs so we um we try to keep it you know that 75 to 100 calls we make a year um you know everything's everything can change on a, you know, a dime, but so we try to stick to, so we're still enjoying doing it. So
0: tell me a little bit about, uh, about you guys business during COVID. How did, how did COVID impact you guys as a, as a, a small call maker?
1: For us, it was great. Um, We had a lot of success um, because we had, we were, we were essential employees. So we had the, you know, I don't even know what you want to call. We had the, Uh, two week on, two week off schedule. So we were home for two weeks, worked for two weeks because they wanted to keep a certain batch of people healthy, just in case something happened that we could fill in if need be. Um, So for us, we had a lot of time to uh, putz around with calls to make them and uh, sell and deliver. I mean, we were hand delivering them all throughout COVID uh, before we even started shipping calls. So
0: very nice. Most of you guys marketing is through word of mouth, correct? Correct. Yep. Now, are you guys shipping nationally or, or how does that work for you? Or are, are you? Are your most of your customers right here in Wisconsin? Most
1: of our customers are in, I'd say, the quad state area, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, um, and Minnesota. I think that's four. That, that general area in the Midwest. Um, we have sold as far as Arizona, Pennsylvania, a couple in Georgia. Um, that's mostly through the Instagram stuff. We're starting to branch out that way a little bit, so okay,
0: yeah, good deal, good deal. Well, let, let's start to hone in on turkey season. So it is uh March 4th tonight as we're sitting here having this conversation, and the snow is melting where I'm at. I'm guessing it probably is where you are too. I think we're not too terribly far from each other. Uh, and nope, so- we
1: never had snow to begin with, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had whatever <laughs> we had was gone, anyways. So that's
0: right, that's right. We had a little bit, and What was here is is gone now, uh, well, pretty much, and tomorrow is going to be in the 60s. So that means my brain has shifted really, really hard towards turkeys. You know, I I thought when I moved to the Midwest from from down south, I thought that I would spend a lot of time shed hunting, and uh, and I have. I've spent a fair amount shed hunting. In fact, I'm going to go shed hunting tomorrow. But, uh, man, as soon as that snow starts to melt, I start thinking about turkeys pretty hard, Uh, and I start trying to go out and listen and go out and – uh, check the ag fields around me and see see what's going on. So, what? Uh, wh- how do, how was your turkey season last year? And what are you what are you looking forward to this year? What what season did you get?
1: Um, I drew this year. I drew A, and last year I drew A, which is kind of a rarity, kind of a weird fluke. Uh, we had a pretty successful season last year. I only killed one bird. We usually get late period tags too. Um, I was able to harvest mine. Uh, we had Free to Prowl outdoors come and film us. And of course the bird didn't cooperate during, um, the camera session. And the day after he left, we ended up killing right away in the morning.
0: Um, <laughs> that's, how but, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> that's how it happens. Man. So what season do you normally try to get? So uh, let me, let me preface this by saying I moved to Wisconsin and I, I saw the tag system and, um, from a conservation standpoint and from people that I've talked to regarding, um, you know, managing populations, managing the the amount of pressure on public lands all at one time. Uh, I totally get the 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 setup, um, uh, the structure of those the season here in Wisconsin, where we have what is it six different seasons? Or A through F, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, it, and each each season has seven days to fill that what they call harvest authorization, which is essentially a tag. Uh, Mm -hmm. when I first, when I got my first harvest authorization here for the state of Wisconsin, I almost had a heart attack because I was like, wait a second, I've got seven days to get this done. Like, like that's it. What if, what if something comes up? What if I get sick? What if I can't, what if I can't get out? I mean, there, there are weeks that go by for me that I just can't get out in the, in the woods. And I think that's probably true for, for most guys who have a job and families and and all that. Um, how's it been growing up? and and turkey hunting in that throughout the years like is has that ever seemed like something that's a that that is a a roadblock for you or is that just uh just kind of the way it's been
1: i mean we i don't know anything different so that's you know you just got to deal with the rules you got um i can tell you hunting down south you know the southern half of the state you always shoot for the first three periods it gets warmer faster it seems like they're a little more active early um And if you're in the northern part of the state rule of thumb is you kind of go you know third season second third season because there's a chance you still got two feet of snow on the ground uh, in april this year is a little different excuse me with the weather and everything but um there's a general rule of thumb is, is down south we always apply for the first periods and you know even up north you can apply for the first periods they're unpressured birds they haven't heard calls for a whole year um not that they're easier to get close to but they're um definitely a little more vulnerable, um, not call shy. So.
0: Yeah. let I want to jump into that just a little bit. I, uh, I hunt some public lands right here around me and like you, I live not terribly far from a large population <laughs> from a densely populated area, let's say. <laughs> and, uh, I got out on some public land my first year here in Wisconsin. And uh, I had a tag to feel, and, and I, I was actually able to get permission from a farmer right down the road, but I wanted to try my hand on public land first and see how it went. And I found some toms in a field, and I would sneak up to the very edge of the woods, put, put my decoy out, do some calling, and those toms that were strutting in the field would literally look in my direction and walk the other way. And so I worked, <laughs> I worked my way down to where they were did the same thing again they looked my direction and walked away and they did that several times i ended up busting them at, at toward the very end is that is that the kind of behavior that i can expect and this was a this was a late season tag too i think it was i think it was fifth season so i mean it was a little bit later in the year is, is that something that you've seen be normal on public land birds here as we get later in the season 100%
1: okay. uh, public okay. land birds especially um, the season structure kind of helps with public land though, because it's one week on. You got you know less chance of running into somebody. Yeah. But yeah, there th- those birds have been. They've heard every call in the world. They've seen every decoy in the world. Um, I know for us last year we hunted the last two periods, and we actually had hens with a clutch of poults, and I've never seen toms act like that before in my life. So it's wow. getting late in that season. It, it changes a lot of tactics and not going to say i'm an expert at late season hunting by any means but you definitely got to do things different than the first half of the season so
0: yeah tell tell me a little bit about um a little bit about that your experience on on public land with with birds that do that so if i run into something similar next year where i've got a a couple of field birds that that really want to just sit out in the middle what do i do with them because i I mean i'm still going to hunt that same place this year and it happened again this year. I saw, I saw birds out there in the, you know, toward the end of the season. And I was just like, not today. Nope. I'm not going after you. I don't <laughs> care. I'm, I'm not that mad at you. I'm going to go find other birds that are more willing to cooperate. I'm not going to go after you in the middle of this field. So what, what would you do? How would you, how would you tackle those?
1: Uh, late season, public land birds. Again, I'm no expert. I have my own experiences. We've, we've killed late season birds. It's less about, Yeah, not necessarily less about calling. It's more about strategy and positioning yourself. If they're out in the middle of a field, you know, you say you got a line fence on one side and you got dense hardwoods on the other side, you're obviously going to want to get to the hardwood side because they're eventually going to work their way back there to go roost at night. You got to be a little more precise with your locations on where you want to go. You got to get a little more, you got to get a little luckier too. Yeah. Um, Because they've, they've seen every call. And then you got to think of the, the biologics of it too is, they've been fighting for six, seven, eight weeks at that point. So the, you know, the big boss toms are fine, but get a lot of the other birds, they've, they've gotten their butt kicks for a while. You know, the jakes, they got in their butt kick for a while. They see a decoy. They're like, do you really want to go ahead and do that? You know? So they're <laughs> a little more cautious. They're, they're a little more hesitant. And um, you know, you might not find one as willing to commit to calling like that.
0: So sure. Sure. Is it worth getting beat up again?
1: <laughs> yep is it is it worth it that hen not better sound damn good so <laughs>
0: oh man yeah i you know i just oh goodness it was it was wild um yeah I, I i won't i'm gonna go after the so this field every year that i've been here now in wisconsin this field has had birds in it uh early in the season and then there's a time period where it's like they just abandon it because it gets pressured pretty hard but then by the end of the year they're back out in it but I think they're very, very difficult to call or decoy in at, at that time of the year. And so uh, this year I'm going to hit it really hard early, early season. I think I'm going to take my daughter out there for the youth weekend, uh, and then I'll probably leave that alone <laughs> and, just, and, just, <laughs> and just let them have it <laughs> after that. So, uh, but, hey, it's it's the beginning of March. When does your – turkey scouting start and what does your what does your turkey scouting look like i was listening to or or was watching a a video on youtube the other day and a very prominent uh turkey hunter on youtube basically said i don't even like to scout for turkeys anymore i look at a map and i think turkeys would be around right here and i go out in the woods and i listen and i go track them down uh where are you at on the scouting scale are you doing a lot of scouting this time of year
1: um accidental scouting going out shed hunting uh we pulled you know our gun deer stand stuff down last weekend kind of to see where tracks are and everything but to be honest they're still kind of flocked up um they're not necessarily in their spring patterns at the moment um so i i i mean when i go scouting it's not to find birds you know where you know properties look good you know you know they're going to have birds on them you basically i early season scout public land for spots to set up so i'm not trying to find a spot in the middle of the dark i want to have a couple of good spots lined up that if i come in and we hear some goblin we know we got three spots you know farther to the east and we can set up on those i'm not necessarily scouting birds per se i'm scouting locations to hunt
0: okay so you're scouting Um, setups gotcha gotcha so what what is what does your style look like then uh, and it may differ from public to private. And if it does, you know, kind of dive into that a little bit, but what does your style look like? Are you a super aggressive running gun guy, or are you going to play the patient game a little bit more?
1: Um, I probably should play the patient game a little more. I get burned quite a bit by <laughs> not waiting the extra 10 minutes, but I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, hunt elk in the fall, you know, in the mountains, if you can run, you, you're going to run. Um, I sit, you know, maybe the first hour of the morning, kinda if I don't set up in the right spot, figure out where they landed, you kinda get a game plan set, but I'm not in a spot for more than like an hour, hour and a half apiece and I'm I'm running and gunning. Just you feel like you're accomplishing more, you know, it could burn you sometimes, but there's we, we've done quite well on, you know, running and gun tactics. So Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I got myself in, in quite a bit of trouble last year. I was um yeah, I'm still learning how to turkey hunt. I haven't been turkey hunting for very long and trying to implement a lot of running gun tactics and what I was getting into is is I would get within sort of that bubble of a bird you know 100 yards and I'd get a bird to gobble or or I would lay eyes on him and I wouldn't see him for 15 20 30 minutes and I would assume the bird's gone and I so I'd get up and start moving and next thing you know I'll bust him right like I it's like how, how did I not just assume he was just over the hill. So, so I re- I really resonate with that. Uh, I probably need to be a little more patient. I need to wait that extra, that extra 10 minutes. Cause in my mind, and I don't know why this is the case. Um, it seems to me like if a Turkey quit goblin, like he might as well be a County away at this point. Like, <laughs> and, and it's, and it's not the case. I had so many times last year that he was just, he was on the other side of the brush pile or he was, you know, uh, just over the ridge or just over the hill, or he just decided not to, not to gobble for, for a little bit of time. But, um, anyway, so yeah, so you're, you've got season a this year. Uh, we've got the, yep. uh, leftover harvest authorizations are going to be coming open, uh, here in just a couple of weeks. Are you grabbing whatever you can get? How's that going to look?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I always try to grab, um, kind of the family tradition is grab last period I believe that's Memorial Day weekend of the last period F. Um, so you got the Monday off anyways. So we always make that a long weekend hunts, you know, do some fishing in between, uh, this year I'll probably grab, you know, the last two periods for sure. Um, I do, I, I'm not a guide or anything, but I do call for a lot of guys, um, given my situation. So we're, we'll be out almost every period trying to get on some birds for different people and such. So,
0: very nice. How has that worked for you calling for different people? I, I'm really curious about that because uh, this is the first year that I've, I've got a season mapped out like this. So I, I, I promised my daughter that I would take her for the youth season. My son has season a, I have season B. My wife has season C and my daughter, if she didn't kill during the youth season has season D. And so we've got, several weeks in a row that i'm hopefully going to be calling for other people so what are what are some tips that you can give me i guess just on a real practical level of calling for people are you are you calling from behind them are you sitting right next to them are you trying to drop back and play games with the turkey how are you working it
1: um, we always try to structure that again. There's no exact science to this. What works for me may not work for somebody else, but what we've had luck with is usually 10 yards behind, but still within earshot of everybody. Okay, um, the, so I'd be calling behind because you know, you get those like you had mentioned, stubborn birds that hang up, whether it be 40, 50, 60 yards away. If they hang up 60 yards on me, if I'm calling and I'm 20 yards away, that's 40 yards, you know, it's a smaller distance to pull them in. But that having that distance between you also has, if they really hang up, you're able to get up and sneak out and call as you're walking away. So they think that bird's walking away and that potentially could, you know, draw them in closer to you. So you want to keep time. a little bit of distance apart, but.
0: Okay. Have you had a lot of success with that sort of drop back calling? I, I've seen it a lot on YouTube and I know the THP guys do it quite a bit. I had I had Zach Fehrenbaugh on my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, um last week and then we actually recorded two episodes together when we talked and um they're they're huge proponents of the of that drop back calling and doing that have you had a lot of success doing that
1: i've had a lot of success i've had a lot of failures too that drop back (laughs) tactics great but if they're coming in behind you and they're walking away and you're facing the wrong direction you cannot swing when they're 10 yards away from you yeah so i mean it It works really well because it it really imitates a real bird Um, there, you know, if something's not interested. Tom's still interested. I mean, we're going against nature by trying to get a Tom to come to a hen. Usually the hens come to the Toms to begin with. So we're defying that natural response to begin with. So anything you can do to help out your tactic. And if it's a hen walking away, you know, I, I, that's a great tactic to have in the, in the arsenal for sure.
0: Sure. I may have to, May have to give that a little bit of a try this year I know my my kids I won't be dropping back and moving away from them but my wife she's uh, she can hold her on her own out in the woods and so uh, may have to put that to use it'll be her first time if we can get her one so uh, it'll be mm-hmm. her first turkey in general not just her first time if we can get her one so uh, but I, I'm feeling That's I'm awesome. feeling pretty hopeful about that uh, she hasn't even been out for a turkey hunt yet and I and I've tried to tell her like like I, I'm t- I promise it when you get out there and one starts gobbling 150 yards away like it's a whole different game she's ter- she's deer hunted quite a bit and i'm like no no tiffany you don't understand it's it's a whole different thing and, and i've told i've told her and i've told other people i think i would rather shoot a buck than a tom any day but i think i would rather hunt for turkeys than deer any day if that makes sense like I enjoyed the turkey hunting experience more than I enjoy the deer hunting experience, but I'd rather arrow a deer I, than shoot a turkey.
1: Nope, I, I fully understand that. I'll, I'll disagree. I love I love turkey hunting. I love shooting turkeys. Um, I, I shot a very large buck this year too that I was more than thrilled with, and with turkey hunting tactics uh, to kill that deer. Um, but there's something about hearing that gobbler in the morning you know it's better than any cup of coffee you've ever had in your life (laughs) it wakes you up and (laughs) yeah
0: yeah it will certainly wake you up it will certainly wake you up the very first uh the very first hunt that i had here in wisconsin uh i went with a guy and he was super generous took me to his own land he just said so i i work at a church and uh, i'm a pastor and he said hey i'm gonna um you know, you're new to the area. I want to take you turkey hunting. So we got within probably 75 yards, 100 yards of where he knew these toms were roosted. And this bird came directly behind the little blind that I'm sitting in by myself. And I can kind of see through the blind, but the turkey can't see through the other way. And he gobbles like three steps behind my blind. And <laughs> I just about came unglued. Like, it was just, man, it was, uh yeah, it was a pretty pretty intense experience so i'm pretty excited for my wife to be able to try that out what what'd you shoot this year as far as a deer and what you did you just say you used turkey tactics on that deer
1: yeah um i gotta thank my brother-in-law for those tactics we do um we hunt a lot of land where there's a lot of tree stands you can't really get tree stands up a lot of marsh grass and you know not necessarily swampy stuff but no big mature trees and yeah, a lot of travel corridors and figuring out where they or you know, if you put it in Turkey tactics, where they're going to roost and, um, stuff like that. You know, we ended up, we ended up, I ended up getting a nice one.
0: So, okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard somebody say, Hey, I, I've used uh, Turkey tactics on this, uh, on this specific deer. I, I do want to jump into though a little bit, you know, as a, as a guy who's newer to the state, I've had a, um, I've had a pretty good run when it comes to turkeys. Now, the area where I live, uh, there are a lot of them, right? Like I can, I, I as a matter of fact, last year, <laughs> I had three days that I was going to hunt, three mornings that I was going to hunt, and I messed up two of those mornings and killed a bird on the third morning. But I had close encounters with birds every single morning. Um, what are some of the tactics that you have found? great success with like some of the things that you're like hey if you're a turkey hunter here in wisconsin especially maybe southern wisconsin these are some things that you you gotta have in your back pocket
1: i can um i can relate to you know some heavy wooded areas with like neighboring egg field um those are like where most of the the situations where i'm hunting where we can dip in the woods if we need to and hunt a lot of egg fields where they're gonna come out and you know strut and everything Um, Our biggest success tactic is don't necessarily go into the hard timber, stay back in a line fence in that field, kind of know roughly where they're going to fly down and do their first initial strut zone area. Um, But then the, the big thing is, is try to locate them. You know, a lot of people use locator calls. We wait till a little closer to fly down. We actually aggressive hen cluck to try to get the hens to fire off and then, you know, you do real heavy aggressive and get them. So, you know, the birds know you're there, you know, they, they have a really good pinpoint type memory where the sound comes from. Yeah. Then once you get them engaged before they fly down silence, silence until they fly down. Cause they, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a Turkey. I, I'm trying to guess what they're going to think, but they get really curious and they think something's happening. So they're going to inherently fly towards that area on, um, when you get real aggressive and stop and you don't respond to them at all, period, they seem to come you know, they seem to come in a little quicker right off the get go. That's our big go to tactic and obviously it doesn't work all the time, but that's usually where we start and then we kind of branch the day off from there. So
0: interesting. Are you are you guys using decoys when you're doing that?
1: Um, depending on the season. We use decoys more early season, more for the fact that they haven't really seen anything yet. Uh, Later season, you know, say we use three or four decoys in the early season, we'll taper it down to a hen, you know, a feeding hen in in the later seasons or nothing at all. But if you're hunting a a field edge or um, a crop field or an egg field, you got to have something out there. Because if they poke their head through the, you know, through the woods to look in the fields and they hear a a hen and they don't see anything, they're not going to come out. Sure. They're not going to investigate more. They're going to say, "Oh, yep, I hear something, but I don't see anything." They're going to go right back in the woods. Yeah. So it's that it's that balance act of something non-aggressive, usually like a feeding hen or just something they can lay their eyes on. That's we kind of like to go. And to be honest, carried one calls easier than carried ten calls. Or I'm yeah. uh, sorry, ten decoys. So.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So, <clears throat> do you know? Have you um, listened to the Spring Legion podcast? I have not. Okay, so there's a guy, the host of the Spring Legion podcast, Hunter Farrier. Uh, he's real big on, uh, or he, he talks quite a bit about two different kinds of turkey hunting. One where you're trying to sort of elicit a bird's uh, curiosity, and the other where you're trying to persuade them to come in. And he talks about those almost like they're two different kinds of hunting, and the, the persuading side is going to be heavy on calling. It's going to be, um, you know, going to use decoys, uh, possibly even going to use Jake decoys or male decoys, that kind of thing. Uh, whereas the curiosity piece is kind of more of what you've said, like I'm going to be quiet, going to be patient, going to going to get that bird sort of looking around, trying to figure out what's out here and, and where it's coming. But, but yeah, I, I hunt some areas that are, uh, <clears throat> they're basically all ag field, you know, with a couple of little strips of timber uh, running around them. So if I don't use a decoy, I'm I feel like I'm out of luck. I feel like it's probably not happening
1: for me. You got a chance, but most likely, I mean, if you're, you know, say you're looking for something, you hear somebody yelling, you poke your head out into a parking lot, don't see anybody,
0: <laughs> you're, you're going to turn around <laughs> and walk to the next
1: parking lot, even though someone could be yelling out there. Um yeah. it's kind of a little well, analogy for it, but
0: yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I, I wanted uh, this this podcast episode to be a little bit of a kind of a BS session, kind of a sitting around the fireplace. I wish we could sit around a fireplace or, or uh, sit around a, a campfire in person, but uh, can't do that. So one of the things that we would probably do, though, if we're sitting around a campfire is to talk about maybe your favorite turkey hunt or maybe a turkey that has haunted you, uh, maybe one that taunted you for multiple seasons. And, and I've got a little bit of a story <laughs> that, that I'll share with you and, and kind of hear maybe how you might have killed this bird otherwise uh, but anyway, what's, what's one of your favorite turkey hunts or, or maybe a, a turkey that tormented you?
1: I got, I got stories for each. So
0: <laughs> let's do, let's do both then. Let's do both. We got time.
1: Um, we'll do probably the coolest bird. And it was the one we actually shot last year. I've had a lot of cool turkey hunts. Um, I was able to harvest the bird first period with my brother-in-law and we had hunted, a you know, a couple of times roosted. Just couldn't get them to commit. We went to the far other side of the property where we heard some gobbles early on. Couldn't get anything to commit. Um, actually had a coyote come running through, which I had tried to pull the trigger on and had my safety on, and he saw me move, so I didn't get that. We went to another side of the property, and actually, I don't I hate saying this, but we actually it was private land we were hunting. We actually pulled toms off of public land. It was just one of those situations where we could, you know, we could hunt the public land, but we were on the private land on the backside. And we saw these birds driving down the road, two black blobs in the field. We actually called from the truck just to make sure they were birds. And once we saw them gobble back and kind of look our direction, we threw the truck in park, ran, you know, 60 yards in, set up where we thought they might come in. And in a matter of two minutes, we didn't hear anything. So my brother-in-law was sitting behind me 5, 10 yards, and I happened we were sitting there waiting. We thought it was going to happen real quick, you know, kind of some thicker cover. And I look over to him, and I'm like, what happened to him? And I kind of see him do one little putt on the pot call, and there was a bird standing right in front of me. He came on a string. So I had my gun down on my waist, (laughs) and we're we're staring eye-to-eye at about 15 yards, and um, he happened to just – He putted at the right time, and it took his attention off a stay I was able to shoulder the gun and pull the trigger. But that was probably the the coolest, most successful hunt we've had in recent memories.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Now, tell me about a bird that has haunted your dreams.
1: (laughs) This is going to be a good story, but you'll uh, get a kick out of the ending of it. So, I was not hunting. I was calling for somebody. And we had a gobbler fire off right before a fly down, probably 250, 300 yards away. I must have called to this bird for 45 minutes because it sounded like it was coming in on a frozen rope. I told the guy, get ready. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Uh, All of a sudden, he wouldn't show up. And we were in a low area, but it was coming from the top. So he should be able to see us when he got to that, you know, the crest line where he could look down. Struck a couple more times. He fired right back off. I'm like, he's right there. What's going on? And all of a sudden, he just kind of shut up, went off, We we decided to move spots. Come to find out, the neighbor on private land had a pet turkey that was responding to our call every single time we struck. So, <laughs> we were chasing a bird we could not even kill because it was a cage, <laughs> you know, domesticated turkey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it was in a cage? Like, it wasn't going anywhere? It was... It
1: Nope. It wasn't going anywhere, but man, it was, it was cranked up.
0: (laughs) Oh man. That is hilarious.
1: (laughs) So that's the bird that I never could have gotten, but I never did get either. Oh
0: man. Oh man. I I've got a, I've got a little bit of a story I've got to share from last year. So, um, I was out uh, for season a last year, the very first morning of the season, I go out and, um, you know, it's kind of times tight, right? Like I've, I've got three little kids and, um, thinking about when I, you know, taking them to school in the mornings and leaving my wife alone on a, on a weekday morning when she's got to get to work. And that means she's got to get all the kids out of the, out of the house and and then go to work. So it's a lot for her. Uh, so I go out and man, I'm, I'm determined. I'm going to kill a turkey and I'm going to get home in time for, in time for school. Right? Like I'm, I'm taking these kids to school. So I go out and, um, I start, uh, start calling. I'd roosted some birds the night before and, and, um, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing for the first little bit. And I know they fly down and they kind of start to work their way the other direction. Well, then all of a sudden they start coming back to, you know, I just got really aggressive on the calls. And, uh, I was set up on this little, on this little fence row in a, on a piece of property that's mostly ag field. I've got very, very little timber to work with on this, on this specific piece of property. And I guess they came out just the the male turkeys came out just far enough where they could see the Jake decoy that I had out, and I had three Jakes and six toms come sprinting down the ridge line at this at this Jake decoy, and the the Jakes are leading the way like they're out front right like they they want to get there first, and the very first Longbeard that uh, that comes out. I, I shoot him. He gets right there next to my decoy. I shoot him. Great morning. Tagged out. Awesome. Uh, I didn't get my camera turned around on him, though, but I did have my camera on another turkey that was off in the distance. And right before uh, I shoot, he pop, popped into a strut, and you can tell he's missing two tail fan feathers. And that turkey, I watched him for the entire season. I watched him strut around. I, I brought friends out there to this field and tried to kill this turkey. I would, When I would have a tag, I, I ended up with, uh, with three tags for zone two last year and would go out there, and every time I'd call to this turkey, he would just completely ignore me. He would gobble his head off at me at the roost, and then he would fly down, and he would go land on the neighbor's property, and he would just stand in one place and strut all day long, all day long. <laughs> And uh, I actually stopped at the road one day just to video him. Just like, man, this guy, he's he's weird, you know? And uh, so this turkey drove me bonkers all season long. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get this turkey. I'm going to get this turkey. He never would respond to any of our calls. And finally, uh, the day before the very last day of the season, I had a buddy who had a, um, who had a, a tag. And uh, he took me out to one of his places that morning. I filled my last tag. We were there for... 15 minutes, the bird flew down off the roost. He never gobbled, flew down off the roost, 15 yards in front of us. I shoot the bird, we go home, like, it, you know, done deal. Uh, but I, so I was like, well, let's go drive past this place and see if this bird is out there, this one that's driving me nuts. And he's, we, we drive by, and he's in the field that, um, that I have permission on. And so we go crawling through the brush, and I'm videoing him from a distance, and, and he's got one of his, he's got his, like, reaping decoy, and that turkey mm-hmm. comes in on a string to fight him. I mean, just absolutely comes in on a string. He gets the turkey, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This this turkey has driven me crazy <laughs> all season long. And then all of a sudden, he sees a full strut male decoy and comes, you know, running in, running in to fight. And it's like uh, – and, and so – you know on one part that's a that's a story that I want to tell because that turkey whipped me all season long, and then a buddy of mine got to shoot him uh which was great. <laughs> this guy's a really good friend um and and I appreciate hunting with him a lot, so I'm glad he got him at the same time i you know I've talked on forums and stuff with different guys about using male decoys, and a lot of guys are for it a lot of guys are are against it so in in true campfire fashion. Let's uh let's let's open a can of worms here and talk about male decoys, full strut decoys, Jake decoys. What do you think about them?
1: I I have a Jake decoy, I have a full strut decoy with a fan in it, uh, a harvested fan. Um, they're they're as good as uh, I, I don't know. I've never killed a bird with a with a full strut decoy before. I use it primarily to sneak through tighter or a more open cover. So I kind of put that in front of me to cover myself to get into position or I use it if there's not a lot of cover to kind of set it by me uh, for a little extra cover. I'm kind of old school. I like running you know just a hen decoy and you know rely on the calling but they both have merits. It's the same thing you have a 150 inch buck coming into a, a buck decoy you're gonna get 150 inch that comes in and attacks it. You're gonna get one that sees it from hundred miles away, and he'll be in the next county over. Yeah. And it's and it's a lot of situational stuff. Um, later in the season, you know, in theory, they've been fighting all year. They don't want to see another dominant Tom. You know, they want to see a Jake fan. They'll come in. You know, more likely to to beat up a Jake than they would a, a full you know full nice Tom. Um, I don't I don't use it enough to have a great input on it. Um, but there, I can see a place for them. Um, I've also, I can see where they add an extra layer of realism where it becomes a, are you actually hunting for them? Or are you putting real decoys out there to have them come in? Um, yeah. you are right. That is is it open a can of worms because everybody's <laughs> got an opinion on it.
0: That's right, man. You know, I, I've seen it on some forums and stuff where, where people talk about Jake decoys or they talk about full strut decoys. As though if you just use them, it doesn't matter. You know the the turkey's coming in a hundred percent of the time. Like they talk about it, like it's like, you know, basically the turkey has no option other than to come in. And I and I get that there's you know we're taking advantage of something that's that's hardwired into them. But man, some some of the some of the purists that are out there, and and not knocking their position at all, but just just saying like I I've seen you know reaping decoys, and I've watched Tom's turn around and run the other direction you know and and not written and and it not be the magic sauce that so many people think that it is and i've seen toms hang up at 60 yards with a jake decoy sitting there because they don't want to come all the way in and commit it's it's not the magic sauce um you know to to make it happen so
1: it can be oh it it obviously works there's a lot of i mean and you got to remember you only see the success videos that's right people aren't going to post failure videos. There might be 200 failures to that one success. Um, I I try to, again, no expert at turkey hunting. I have a lot of experience turkey hunting, but I try to equate it to a human. If I've been getting my butt kicked all year long, am I going to run into a hen and a Jake or am I going to run into a hen by itself? I'm not going to, I don't want to fight, you know, near the end of the season, you know, they're sick and tired of it whether that's right or wrong it works for me you know you get more minimalist as the season goes on and then as for the purest aspect of it it's how hard you want to make it for yourself you know you have these tools that are legal to use i do not knock anybody for using them they're legal to use but you know it's what you feel good about using you know yep for sure that's what it comes down to
0: yeah absolutely and you know (laughs) that Oh goodness! I'll probably get an email or a comment, nasty comment on social media for this. You know, the, the same guys who don't want to use a, a full fan or a Jake decoy or something like that are the guys that are gonna load some three-inch TSS into their 12 gauge and shoot that bird at 55 or 60 yards. You know, and it's <laughs> like, well, <laughs> it's like yeah, but you didn't use a fan, but boy, you sure reached out there and touched him um you know but anyway and 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 like my experience with this uh with reaping one last year with my buddy or videoing him reap one um we stopped at another field and there were a group of three toms out there and they had a hen with them and when when he popped out with that they all turned and ran the other direction so i don't i don't know if there was a boss tom in the area that they didn't want any part of or or what it was but they saw this decoy they did not want any part of it (laughs)
1: yep i mean i don't want to sound like the guy where you know a lot of it's marketing you see you know we'll buy this decoy has two videos of turkey sprinting in on a frozen rope um but everything's situational yeah it's is no it it wouldn't be hunting at that point it'd be killing yeah so it's you know it's still hunting you still got to have skill involved in it um whether you use that type of decoy or not whether you use a call or not um it's it's your preference as long as it's legal. I'm all for however you want to kill a bird. Yeah, as long as it's legal.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. So let me let me pick your brain a bit. <laughs> I, I talked a little bit at the beginning. I guess we were talking off air just a little bit, and I said, hey, I I want this to be less about you know, hardcore turkey tactics than, than maybe some of my other episodes turn into. But here I am with all of these hardcore turkey tactic uh, questions <laughs> coming to mind. So, sorry about that. H- how big of a role does, does roosting a bird play for you? Uh, like, roosting one the night before. So, I'll preface it by saying, like, I have noticed that I have zero confidence if I have not roosted a bird the night before. Like, I just... I really wrestle with, and I'm like I said, I'm a new turkey hunter, so this is you know, uh, I have very very low confidence. Um, but when I roost one, the night before, um, I have a really high success rate. Like if I can tell you within about seventy five to hundred yards of where he's roosted, it's probably not going to go well for him the next morning. So what what are you what's your take on that?
1: Um, it's it's comes down to the more homework you put in, the more successful you're going to be. Um, you can roost birds. You know, if you have the opportunity to roost birds, my job sometimes I don't have the opportunity to roost birds, but I've been hunting the same core public areas and private areas for years. I know there's five roosting areas. I could take a gamble. And I know yeah. that if I don't hear them right off the roost gobbling, I get up and move before it even gets light out. So, I mean, it, it's, it's different if you're – um, how do I say this? It's different if you know your property. If you're going to a new property, roosting a bird makes all the difference in the world. Um, a lot of times they have their generic roosting trees, you know, the typical giant gnarly oaks. Um, you know, I've seen them roost in pine trees, you know, anything big with vertical limbs. If you can pinpoint two of those big trees in a small area where, you know, there's egg fields around, you don't necessarily have to roost them. If they're going to be there, they're going to be there, or they're going to be two properties over, and you can't hunt them anyways. Sure. Um, But the the general theme is the more homework you put into it, the better you're going to do. If you have the time to get out, I mean, spring into early summer, those days are 5 in the morning, it's light, and it's dark at 9 o'clock at night. That's a long day. Mm -hmm. If you want to watch them roost at 8.30 at night and have the opportunity to for the next morning, go right ahead. It's only going to help you out 100%. So
0: Yeah, yeah. I got to say, man, those those spring days, <clears throat> I'm really, really looking forward to them. I, I can't wait to get out in the turkey woods again. Uh, but the days get so long. My goodness, so incredibly long. I mean, just especially if you're going to try to hunt, if you're going to try to catch them off the roost in the morning or you want to try to go, uh, go roost them that evening as well, I mean, you're putting in, you know, basically. A f-
1: 16 hours. Yeah, I mean, my goodness.
0: <laughs> My goodness. And a lot of a lot of times last year I would I would go out in the morning for the first you know 4 hours of the morning and I would make sure I would could get out in time to go roost birds in the evening and I would work my normal work day in between. And I I was about dead after about a week of that. I mean it it, it almost yeah, it, put me under.
1: Oh yeah, it wears you out. We're we're really excited for turkey season, especially with all the calling and seasons that we end up, you know, calling and hunting in and we are so happy when June comes around because we can just take a week to take a nap. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh goodness. Yeah. I, I usually, the last couple of years, we as a family have taken that, that first week of June, once Turkey season ends as our vacation. And so it's been really well-timed every single, <laughs> every single year. Cause I'm, <laughs> man, I'm just ready to rest. And uh, yeah, I've got it, got it behind me finally. So Uh, let's circle back and talk a little bit about, uh, about Turkey calls and the calls that you guys make. I'm curious to hear a little about what makes, um, what makes weathered Oaks game calls different maybe than some of the others. What, uh, maybe what's your own, what's your own take on it. And I mean, with what seems like a really flooded market, like a really, really busy market, and you've got a lot of big names that have been out there doing this for a long time. Like what, why did you guys decide to bring one to the market? And, and what sets them apart from one that you go buy at, you know, Walmart the night before the season starts?
1: So let's, uh, you know, let's take it as a two part question there. Um, we make a call, you know, everybody can make a pod call. They've been around for, I couldn't even tell you hundreds of years. My, my guess would be the old turtle shell and putting a rock in and putting a stick on it. Um, our calls are, you know, all handcrafted, uh, nothing CNC machined. It's every call is a little bit different. Nothing's exactly the same. We don't, you know, use molds or nothing. So everything's one-off handmade. Um, and the quality higher than uh, CNC produce something. Um, and I'll get into that by saying a call doesn't leave my hands or my house or go in the mail until I hand strike it. So I'm not going to send you a call that, isn't struck? Isn't you know we call them you know striker matching or you know sound tuning or whatever. Um, I don't let you know that's that's my name on those calls going out there. Sure. So I don't want to send somebody something that's damaged, doesn't sound quite right. Um,
0: jump so jump into that jump into that striker right. match piece for a little bit for maybe some folks who have used mouth calls, box calls exclusively, and haven't really jumped into the whole pot call game. Tell me a little bit about that. Striker matching piece.
1: Sure, it um, it basically, you know, it's it's a striker that you know makes the call or makes the sound off the pot call. Um, hundreds of different material combinations, different weights and densities. Everything sounds a little different, and we found this out early on, um, which every every manufacturer will probably tell you the same thing. That's why they pick one, get one consistent thing, and they kind of go from there. But with an inconsistency of and I say inconsistency lightly, The handmade aspect of it, where everything's not down to the thousandth of an inch, um, it's very important to us to strike the calls because there could be a sixteenth of a gap bigger than the call I did before that sounded good with a purple heart striker with a maple top. Um, that one might sound better with a walnut, you know, striker with the osage top. It's, it's, you know, and we we do it it's more so It's a quality aspect of it. We just, we want everything yep. to sound good. We want, you know, our customers and our clients to succeed and have the best quality call that they can get. Yep. Um, that's why we do it. You know, a lot of bigger names, they're, they're more mass produced. They got a formula worked out. So they can going shift it out with you. And if it sounds like junk, you just return it and they'll send you another one. We, we send them out trying to skip that step. Yep. So
0: for sure. And yeah, I, I, uh, I I just wanted to cover that piece real quick because I I knew it was for a quality standpoint and and to make sure that people are going to get a call that sounds not just good but great out of the box you know and and I also wanted to highlight a little bit of man if you guys are striker matching you know these calls like you're putting you're going the extra mile to make sure that the customer is going to be satisfied so didn't mean to cut you off or derail your answer there but um, anyway so w- what uh, yeah I guess I'll let you just continue on then um
1: where were we what? That,
0: you know what that's a good question uh we were, <laughs> where were we so we it's were talking fire talk now. that's right yeah uh let's see we were talking turkey calls what sets yours apart and one of the things that sets them apart is your uh you know going through and striker matching each one of them
1: yep and i mean and the difference between a walmart call i mean don't get me wrong you can put two sticks together with a rock and call a turkey in i not saying turkeys are dumb, but you can make generic sound with a lot of things. Um, it's probably not the best business model, but we're, we make calls that are going to last you the life of your turkey hunting career. Um, so we we have, we don't advertise it or anything, but we've had a couple people drop their call, break glass. We'll put glass back in, you know, for a, a minimal fee because we know our quality products there. We'll fix everything on that end for you because we want you to have that same call. Um, yeah, I mean that's it's we can go into as much depth about calls in on that end as you want, but I mean, it's kind of like the generic why we're better than the twenty dollar Walmart car. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it, but it's like paying Craftsman versus Snap On tools. Yep. Um,
0: yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I I want to hear just a little bit from your opinion, like what goes into a good call, because you are associated with everything from sourcing the materials to uh, the assembly piece to Quality control on the way out the door, right? What what are some of the things maybe besides striker matching that, that you're like, hey, this this thing makes a quality call, and maybe it's a step or a, or a, uh, or a, of a, let's say a materials issue that maybe some of these other brands might kind of skip over to save them time and money. Whereas with a custom call maker, you're going to say, hey, I'm, I'm taking that extra step so that people get quality.
1: Um, I mean, it, it, a lot of trial and error. It was, um, you know, coming into it, our first call being such an epic flop to our, our calls now, which are quite successful. I mean, I'm a little biased, obviously. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a lot of uh, probably more scientific stuff that I don't even understand. But it's how, you know, you look at a sound room for a podcast studio, you got different materials, thicknesses, densities of wood, air spacing um how things flow past uh how the striker meets the you know glass or slate surface there's a lot of different aspects of it and to be honest i'm no scientist it's a lot of trial and error we have i don't know if you can see behind me i know podcast land can't see but the stack of calls on that shelf those are all failures they didn't sound good they're sitting on the shelf wow so we're you know we don't we don't sell them if they don't sound good wow Wow. So it's a lot of trial and error. We got some, like I said, we got some measurements, basic measurements, and install heights and stuff figured out. But yeah, we we got some good sounding calls now. So,
0: man, that's awesome. <laughs> so, to, why do you uh, why do you keep those stacked up behind you if uh, um, if they're failures? Why not Why not straight out in the trash can?
1: That's a reminder. Keep you keep you honest, man. You know, just you know, keep you humble. So.
0: That's good. That's good. I, I thought that might be why I was wondering if that was kind of kind of the motivation behind that. So, um, yep. well, man, we're coming up. We're a little over an hour at this point of, uh, of recording. And I want to be mindful of your time. I know you got kids and, or have a kid and your house is, uh, full of other kids at this point. So, uh, <laughs> how, how can folks find weathered Oaks game calls if they want to try one out this, uh, this spring?
1: Um, Sure, yeah. Uh, We do Instagram and Facebook. Um, You you know, reach out on either one of those platforms. We do not have a website yet. Like I said, I'm not the most social media tech person in the world. Um, We're working on that for this fall. We're going to have a website up and running. Um, Basically, reach out on either one of those platforms. Or um, we actually sell some calls with uh, Adam from Free to Prowl Outdoors. We have two of our lines on his website, which you can directly purchase. And you're never too late for the game. Uh, we have a little bit of stock built up. and um, But yeah, we're, I mean, we're wrapping down production now. We're starting to look into some grunt tubes and stuff, starting to produce those for fall. But there's still, I mean, reach out and we can do anything from our stock items to a custom call. I had a customer reach out today that had some um, sentimental meeting of wood they had from their grandfather and asked if we could make a call out of that chunk of wood. And uh, he's a little nervous to ask, but I said, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like man. I love making memorial calls and, you know, that you trusted me with that sort of stuff is kind of, kind of humbling. You know, it's yeah. really neat.
0: What, what an incredible opportunity to take something like that from somebody, but also I feel like I would, that would be super nerve wracking for, for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd be pretty nervous about that one, but um, yeah, I think you guys are good at what you do and, Uh, you know, I've appreciated striking up a friendship with you on Instagram and getting to chat a little bit over text message and phone call. And uh, yeah, glad to be able to highlight turkey calls made right here in Wisconsin, just down the road from me. So I really appreciate you taking your time uh, to come on the podcast. We'll definitely have to check in again as we get closer into turkey season. I know one of the things that that I want to be able to do is to have little quick check-ins with folks around the state that I know are hunting and just saying, hey, what are you hearing right now? What are you seeing right now? You know, what's the season looking like where you're at? Are they on fire or has it been a slow week? So um, you're definitely somebody I'm going to be calling you. I'm I'm just going to call you. You don't get the option. Other folks get the option of whether or not I'm going to call them, but (laughs) now you you made the mistake of giving me your info. Uh, So, (laughs) so awesome. Well, man, thanks for your time. I appreciate it so much. Have a good evening.
1: Sounds good. You too.